Hi, this is Aaron Douglas. I'm Chief Tyrrell in Battlestar Galactica, and you are listening to Galactica Quorum Online. I don't think she should have survived. You can't tease me like that. Love the one you're with. <laughs> Can I bring up the fact that Tori is a whore again? Oh boy. Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. We have a website, galacticaquorum.com, and an email, gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And a voicemail, 206-350-6756. And I'm Brian, and joining me today is... Jason. Michelle. Up front, we want to state that we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode, and in fact, we'll not be doing any spoilers of any kind, although we will be doing lots of speculation, some of which may be right, or could be very, very wrong. Just want to make a note that in our next segment, we had some audio difficulties with the recording and had to rely on the backup, so the audio quality isn't quite what I would like it to be, but it's only for a few minutes, and then we go back to our regular microphone recordings. Let's go ahead and jump into our voicemails. Hi, I'm calling to actually disagree with you guys. Um, you said that you thought that Tori was evil. I say that she's good. The fact is that she saved a life. If it wasn't for her, uh, you know, Callie would have killed both her and her son because of her blind hatred for all things Cylon. Not only that, it's war, you know. If they would have let her go... She would have went and told Dama and Empress Rosalind would have put them in the airlock, and that would have been the end of the final five, which I don't know if people would have liked that. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Okay, I highly disagree. Well, okay, I don't highly disagree with that. I disagree with that. Only because I think Callie was coming around. I mean, Tori was able to kind of talk her down. I don't think Callie really would have killed her son. I really don't. And I don't think Tori saved a life. I think she was being selfish. If that voicemail, probably when it was made, i.e. before the next episode, hard to disagree with it. But from what we saw of Tori in the latest episode, she may not think she's evil, but the actions are classic, you know, I'm better than you, my actions are perfect and right, but to everyone else, that it comes across as evil. All villains or evil characters should be thinking that they're in the right. So to them, what they're doing is not evil. What I think of as being like evil is when she pushed the button to vent the launch tube, what was the expression on her face? Was it remorse that I'm sorry I have to do this to protect us? No, it was more like, I got your kid, I win, see ya. Yeah. Well, plus, maybe Tyrrell doesn't see it in the way Callie saw it, but Callie was also looking at it as someone hitting on her man. And it was pretty obvious that if Anders was already more or less spoken for with, with Starbuck coming back and Ty just didn't do it for her, she was going for Tyrrell. Yeah. So she was eliminating a threat. That's evil. It's a way to look at it. So I'm sorry, we still think Tori's evil. <laughs> Please call back, though, because I'd like to hear your thoughts now, having seen the next episode. Okay, what's on number two? Hi, uh, my name is Michelle. I, I'm calling for the first time, um, but I've been a fan of uh, Battlestar Galactica since the beginning. 
One thing I was thinking about when I was watching last night's episode, one thing I think that triggered uh, Tori, made her want to become, accept her Cylon side a lot quicker than anybody else, is that she's the only one who didn't have a human to tie her to her humanity. Anders had Starbuck, Chief had Callie, and Ty had Ellen. He killed her, but he still is obsessed with her in a way. And I think Tori accepted the fact that, you know, being a Cylon is not that bad because she didn't have someone human to love so that she didn't have any kind of attachments to hold her back. I think now that Callie's dead, I think that the next person who probably will move on to a part of himself to accept his Cylon side will be Chief or specialist based on what happened last night. And I think we'll probably see him and Tori start to act a lot alike. I think a clue to what's going to happen with, with the chief um, will be is in the uh, picture um, they have on the Galactica website where chief has a knife in his hand. You know, uh, you know everybody's at the, the big old long table. We have all the cast and, and chief has a knife in his hand. And I think that Callie was probably the catalyst to get him to accept that being human is probably not the best, you know, best thing because being a human, you hurt, you have pain. And, and I think that we're going to see a lot of exciting stuff from, from Chief. And I think also now that the final four revealed four are going to be spread apart a little bit more, I think we're going to see a lot of hokey, interesting, exciting stuff come up. So um, that was my, my theory, if it made any sense. Thanks. Enjoy listening to you guys. Fantastic point. I totally agree. The only thing I would say is that I don't think Ty's tie to humanity is Ellen. Ty's tie to humanity is his military service and the battle star, which is, again, something you see classically in a movie that has military people, the guy that's not married to his family but married to the service. But other than that, I I think that's a great point. I don't think Tyrell is necessarily going to go the way of Tori. I mean, he may accept who he is, and I think his tie is still going to be Nikki, even though Nikki's a hybrid. He still has to care for him, and he still has to be a father to him, so I don't think he's necessarily going to go full-on out Tori and maybe become evil like Tori. Really, I think what that knife was showing was that I think Tyrell's just cracking up. I really do. When he goaded Adama into demoting him, I think part of it was because he realizes on some level that he is not safe and he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And so I think that was done purposefully. So while I think he might accept that he is a Cylon, I don't know if he's going to like go down the same toy path either. I think that's, uh, he will have lots of bumps and he may hurt somebody badly, but I don't think he'll be malicious. I think it might just be because he's, like you said, cracking up. Well, he sees himself in Boomer, who was doing stuff without knowing it. So he's wondering, was it just I'm overwhelmed and just made a mistake, or subconsciously am I doing this because the Cylons have done pulled some trigger thing? Here is a theory from Byrne about Baltar that I find really interesting. He says, let's just assume that Baltar is an allegory for Christ. That would make him, by some measure, the Son of God, and by another measure, God himself. That sounds a little odd, except when you place it within the context of one possible storyline. Suppose that Baltar, a brilliant scientist, was so obsessed with his own immortality that he sought a way to clone himself. 
Cloning is, of course, quote, easy. The challenge is to transfer the consciousness. This is exactly what Baltar discovered how to do, and what ultimately was the genesis of the new breed of Cylons. In this way, Baltar became the Cylon's creator, or god. The first Cylon he developed was modeled in his own image, meant to be the vessel of his own consciousness when the time came. However, while it would hold his consciousness, it would lack the knowledge of its true identity. Why? Because Baltar had a plan. In that plan, Baltar knew he would be tested in unimaginable ways. To help him along the way, he programmed himself a guide, an angel of sorts, to instill in him a faith in himself, and in so doing, help him survive and fulfill his destiny. This theory even helps to explain how the image of Baltar, aka Head Baltar, appears to Six. Now, I could be wrong about all this, but I stand by my conviction that Baltar is not the last Cylon, but the first. That's a neat theory. Um, I like I'm it. Sure. See, I, and I guess what I was thinking of when you were reading that was, it's too hard to reconcile it with what we've seen. Plus, it's the whole Ronald D. Moore comment about the, the Last Supper image, which is now the overriding theme of you know any discussion about the fifth <laughs> Cylon. I like it. I, I think it could have been the answer. I just don't think it is. It's the kind of idea that you wish the writers had had in time. Right. But it's too late to have that kind of thing now. We have an email now from CC in Boston. Last podcast, I asked what might have been the choices behind the crew of the Demetrius. Uh, he first writes to praise the last or the episode that had uh, Callie's demise. He says, This episode has got to be one of the best individual shows of the year. The mesmerizing depiction of a mother losing her mind because of the stress of a young child. Misinterpreting her husband's actions, some narcotics, and her worst nightmare, i.e. the chief becoming a Cylon, and then have it lead up to the attempted double murder-suicide was one of the most horrific depictions I've seen on television. Beginning on to the next part, he says, On what I guess is a lighter note, I noticed that the crew with Starbuck have some serious backstory and potential twist to it. Except for the dude that wouldn't stop complaining. You have the few folks that were airlocking people after New Caprica, including one member that was since discovered he's a Cylon, a Cylon convert, Athena, a Cylon lover, Hilo, somebody almost sent out the A-lock, Geta, and the, quote, Cylon married to the crazy captain leading them around. What's going to come of this? What backstory do you think is resurfaced by introducing these folks? I talked to Brian about this briefly offline since I couldn't make the podcast. But, yeah, there has to be something damn interesting with this crew because otherwise it's the stupidest choice of crew in history <laughs> because you're sending, like, how many key people to the defense of your entire fleet off on some mission in a garbage scow? Uh, I mean, are you kidding me? That just makes no sense. It's like when Kirk, Spock, and, you know, it's like when the top five people on the Enterprise are beamed down to the planet. <laughs> I guess what? The only people they didn't send on this that would have just really rounded it out would have been, like, Ty and, and maybe just Rosalind, too. Let's just take everybody in charge except one person and send them off on this garbage scout. Okay, but that's where we're at. But, yes, there better be a payoff on the crew makeup. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand now why the writers did it. That was my question last time. Is because of that interesting dynamic of that group. I still understand why Adama chose them. Like you said, it's it's an odd, an odd grouping. Well, one thing that Ron Moore said in his podcast was that the network gave him a note that said uh, Hilo doesn't have enough to do. So that's the idea that put Hilo on the on the boat. They realize that we all love Hilo. Well, yeah, they're not. We stupid. want more Hilo. They, yes, they've got almost too many key characters now. You're going to get the feeling that wow, I didn't see enough of him or her or him or he, but there's just no way around that without adding like three more seasons. <laughs> Need to kill off more people. It's a war. Do it. Yeah. 
We have no podcast to plug this time. Just a reminder, if you have a podcast about anything, sci-fi, Battlestar, knitting, doesn't matter, let us know. We'll uh, <laughs> give you a shout. So let's go ahead and move into our discussion of this episode, which was the oddly titled Escape Velocity. That was the title? That yeah. was the title. That would have been better for last week. Yeah. I uh, just want to also mention that Pike has been doing a great job putting together the video recaps uh, you can catch them on YouTube. There's links on our website to those. This episode, I really wasn't feeling the muse for some reason. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Pike. I hope I give you something to work with here, but we'll see. Just be more animated. It'll make it sound interesting. Okay. <laughs> Terrell is speaking at the memorial service for Callie, emotionally vacant until Tori and Ty pass by. He grips them intensely as they file out, causing them some alarm. But fortunately, Lee is next in the receiving line and is the perfect sedative. Ty has been routinely visiting Caprica 6 in the holding cell, looking for answers to questions he can't voice. But now what he sees is Ellen, Ellen embodied in voice and form. In Baltar's lair, Tori cozies up to him, her seduction alternating between the mental, discourse about perfection with God, and the physical, licking his cheek and plucking his hair, while expounding how pleasure can be derived from pain. But before the scene can further devolve into an episode of The Red Shoe Diaries, the compartment is attacked by religious fanatics supporting the gods, plural. Prodded by Head Six, Baltar declares that this cannot stand and bursts into a church service, knocking down idols and blaspheming the gods. Cheryl's back on the flight deck, but still distracted. As a result, Racetrack's Raptor blows a gasket and makes a fiery emergency landing. Rosalind makes her own prison visit to Baltar and tells him she is dying, so frack the rules, and he best stay low for a while. Cheryl's at the bar, nursing a shot glass of green Gatorade. Adama joins him to offer condolences, but Chief wants none of it, and goes on to say some unflattering things about his dearly departed and what Adama can do with his battle star. Adama has no choice but to accept the dare and demotes Tyrrell on the spot. At the quorum meeting, it's Lee versus Rosalind round two. Lee argues against her presidential order and threatens a quorum override. The quorum actually has some power? Who knew? Ty is back with six. She tells him she feels the pain of the guilt of millions of people, but needs the pain for clarity and that she can help him find it, and the method that she uses is to reintroduce her fist to his face. Intercut with this, Baltar challenges the decree and gets smacked. Head Six compels him to get to his feet, and he miraculously totters over to the guards, only to be whacked again. He's about to get pummeled into the next episode, but wait! Lee is in to save the day! Lee makes a personal appearance to announce that the decree has been abolished and they are free to assemble. Baltar addresses his followers, telling them they are perfect creatures. The blubbering flock cheer and weep while Tori nods approvingly, Roll credits. Red Shoe Diaries, so. <laughs> Excellent reference. <laughs> Can I bring up the fact that Tori is a whore again? Oh boy. She wasn't just fiddling with his hair. <laughs> <laughs> She's dirty. So what are your first thoughts about episode? I know Jason wasn't in love with this one. Go ahead. I wasn't in love with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with going into some of the mental issues of the final five because that needs to be addressed. But my first problem as I'm watching this is, wow, that was a really great previous episode. I wonder what's happening on Demetrius. I wonder what's happening with the Cylon Civil War. Oh, wait, I'm not wondering what's happening with the quorum and their voting. <laughs> as I expressed to someone offline, it was like watching The Phantom Menace. <laughs> you show up expecting lightsaber duels and fighters fights in space, and you get a political battle. Not that exciting. And then, I'll just go ahead and say it, I found out why when I went back and looked at the opening credits. The writer sucks. 
every time the Buffy episode sucked, she was behind it. And here she is again. Stop it. She's better at it than I am, but she's not as good as the people that have been doing the majority of the writing on this show. And you just can't introduce all the things they introduced in the Callie episode and then pretend like they didn't happen. Right. The last ten minutes, pretty good. It kind of raised the... My idea for it is not, like, completely sucked, but it's like this episode has to be graded down the road as how they follow up on this stuff. But as a standalone... I could have done without it. I felt, as a story, it lacked some sort of like narrative arc to it. I just felt like there was a couple things that they started, but they didn't really have enough punch to like be an A story, a B story. They were just sort of like little things they started, and there was no resolution. Like At the end, Baltar gets to assemble, and he gives a speech. Well, is that really a payoff for the episode? Like at the end of last episode, the Cali one was like, it comes to a resolution, and you're like, wow, that was that really hits you at the end of this one it ended and it was like uh, okay i guess it moved forward a little bit but it just almost seemed like it could have been a bunch of scenes within like another episode didn't have its own merit to be an episode on its own it's like i'm looking at the clock going they're gonna end it with this Mm -hmm. there's a couple odd beats like that like the end of act two i think it was or maybe it was three when uh adama demotes him and the camera pulls back, pulls back. And it was a tense scene. That's one of my... There's two scenes that I really enjoyed in this episode. Uh, one was the Adama Tyrrell scene. I thought that was written really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, we'll come back to it, I guess. And the other one was the Rosalind Baltar scene. It's like the one-on-one scenes were good. But anyway, the end of the bar scene, the camera pulls back, holds back, pulls back. And I was like, it's kind of an odd way to end out. Usually they end out and there's like this boom, boom, boom of like drums that tells you, wow, something just happened. But it was an odd choice. Maybe that was the directing choice that the way they came out on it. It just was like, that's odd. I was, I was watching it on TiVo and I saw them start pulling away and I'm like, that's how they're going to end this scene. I just hit fast forward and <laughs> like just blasted right through the last 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing's going to happen. It's almost like, again, they had this great episode with all these like cool special effects they had to write, work in one week, so the next week the budget wasn't there for anything. So it was an all-talking episode. Well, that's the thing. They did have that one cool effect shot when the Raptor's taking off and the, the guys in the spacesuits are walking in the, the pod. Yeah. And then the Raptor starts spinning out of control, and that was cool. But it seemed like, yeah, it was just kind of gratuitously stuck in there for, okay, here's our quotient for effects. Is it just me, or did that look like a crash that you would not survive? It did. Oh, <laughs> totally. When it flips up on the cockpit yeah, and, and the thing burst in. into flames. Yeah. I mean, you at least, if you really wanted to have Tyrrell crack up, at least one of them could have been, like, seriously hurt. But they both walked away. Yeah, with no like, scratches yeah, or anything. Yeah, I thought that was odd. It's like, it was, it's, like that, it's like the guy wanted to go, I meant to get a Band-Aid for, like, a week on this. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I really, I really thought, you know, oh, they're going to kill her off. I really thought she was going to be dead because that that did not look like a survivable crash. Right. Yeah. Right. But I guess you could say Tyrrell was more upset that he hurt the raptor than he hurt the people. Yeah. Well, he was becoming aware of the fact that he was not paying attention to his job. He just wasn't all there. I like this episode for the fact that they show Tyrrell and Ty cracking up completely. Like, they're losing their minds. And especially Ty because Ty was real adamant about Sticking to who he is and, you know, maintaining that, you know, I'm Ty, I'm Saul Ty, this is who I am, and nothing's going to change that. And now, all of a sudden, he's starting to question himself by going and talking to the to Six and cracking up inside, seeing Ellen and 
asking Six about what it's like, basically, to be a Cylon. Yeah, I mean, where they kind of screwed Ty was the obvious conversation he should be talking to is with Athena. Mm-hmm. But she's not there. Conveniently. <laughs> <laughs> I like seeing Tyrrell slip into like a state of instability mentally. I guess the thing I don't really care for right now is sort of revisiting how they are doing things that are Cylon-y. In other words, like, it, it all strikes me way too much like the water episode when Boomer doesn't remember she did something and she checks the locker and, oh, this is missing and, oh, I forgot this and I'm blacked out. It just seems like they visited that path before and if these Cylons are different, make them really different. Don't just make them have, go through the same process that we've seen before. You know, just get on with something new. But they don't know they're different. To them, they're wondering, are there a million more of me on a ship? They don't know that they're unique Cylons. So I can see why they would kind of revisit that. I can see them revisiting. And they did it before. They did it with yeah. the, the Anders questioning whether he shot or did not shoot on purpose and a couple other things. But in the majority of the episodes this season, that's come back again and again and again. I'm like, okay, we get it. We don't need to be shown it. I don't know. To me, I just feel like we've seen that sort of device used with Boomer in season one, and I don't think they need to carry it over as much as they're doing. Let's see. You mentioned uh, the writer of the episode. I did like how when Adama is talking to Tyrrell in the bar and he says she was a good woman and Tyrrell's like, well, if you really believe that, you wouldn't have threatened to put her against a bulkhead and shoot her. That was nice. That was nice. Of course, the writer of the episode that he's referring to is the same one. <laughs> so, oh yeah, a little inconsistency there. It's weird because in the Ron Moore podcast for the previous episode, the Kali episode, he doesn't have glowing praise for it. He actually thinks there's some problems with it and the way some of the stuff was structured. In this episode, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if they had moved over a lot of stuff around in editing because they had a lot of scenes that seemed like they were inserted or not sequential. Like Ty goes one place and like the very next scene, like a second later, he's visiting Six again. I can't imagine that was actually plotted out that way. And then they have, like, he's talking to Six, and Tyrrell is in the hangar deck for that one... It wasn't even a scene. It was just like this little blip where he, he's welding, and he gets up and walks off. And they go right back to Six and tie again, without missing any time passing, really. It was just, like, inserted there, kind of strangely. And that, that little bit in the middle where he's welding could have come before the Raptor accident. It could have come after the Raptor accident, because nothing really tells you about its time. So... In terms of structure, it just seemed disjointed to me. I guess if they're all hearing the same, if you go back to all hearing the same music, maybe they all kind of sense, are they connected mentally? Like they're all aware of what the other's doing? You know, like maybe Tiro's like, okay, he's talking to someone about something and he's just like, I can't concentrate while I know this is going on. I don't know. That would be strange. They didn't do it yet, which I appreciated. But I was really scared when watching the Cylon battle, and, they, and you see at least one of the ships really start to explode. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, please, God, don't give me a scene where either Six on Galactica or Athena on the Demetrius has one of these I-feel-a-great-disturbance-in-the-force kind of moments. <laughs> like a thousand souls suddenly crying out at once and then being silenced. <laughs> you know, for God's sake, don't do that. <laughs> I guess it's the end of Natalie. No, no, because you can't... My other issue with not bringing it up in this issue is you can't introduce the concept of a Cylon difference evolving into a Cylon civil war 
but then have the leader of the of the one side school be wiped out in one scene. Yeah. You can't tease me like that. I don't get why Six was beating the crap out of Ty. Yeah. That just was not... That was just strange. I mean, I get that she was... I guess she was trying to give him pain so he can try and get clarity and understand what she's talking about, but I really think she was just getting her rocks off. That's what I mean about this episode <laughs> and the writing about it. I just thought they were trying too hard to make some of these parallels and symbols and themes run through. Like the last episode, I was... The Kelly episode, I keep going back, back to that one, but I really thought that one was really good. I thought they definitely and subtly did that really well. And in this one, it just seemed like they were banging it over your head with like, in the beginning, Tori's talking about perfection and pain and pleasure. And then at the end, you've got Six talking about pain and clarity. And then you've got the perfection at the end and you got the intercutting beating up of Ty and Baltar. And I just thought it was just like, okay, you're trying too hard. Yes, the anvils have been noted. Yeah. The one thing I did find interesting was at the very, very, very end of the episode where Baltar looks at his head six and she looks over at Tori kind of pointing out to Baltar that there's something different about her, that he needs to pay attention to Tori. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting, too. And the funny thing is... The moment I saw it, it reminded me of the end of Return of the Jedi when you see like Yoda and Anakin and Ben Kenobi all standing there and they kind of nod and turn toward each other. I don't know why, but it was like the ghostly apparition that goes and looks at the other guy and says, hmm, see, see, hey, over here, see it? I mean, is there any way to tie in like what's going on with Tori and Baltar and head six and all that to what's going on with the real Cylon, like with the Cylons on their ships. I mean, is it that same kind of faction going on? I don't know. They have a challenge right now because they have the Demetrius off on its own story somewhere, and they are literally on opposite ends of the path of the Galactica. They're so far away that there's, they're not going to just be able to like, oh, let's jump back. But they can't just do that because they're going the other direction. Then they've got the Cylon Civil War, which... You know, they could be on a parallel course or they could be, you know, not too far off in terms of cosmic distances, but they still are ways away. So getting those guys back, even in the physical sense, so that they're close to each other in proximity, that's going to be tough. So they got to do that. And they also have to find a way story-wise to make that happen. So two big challenges. And I'm curious to see how they're going to pull that off. I mentioned two scenes I liked, the Adama one with Tyrrell. I guess the thing that I liked the most about that was that Teal made a good point about, you know, I settled. I, the person I really wanted was dead or a Cylon or they did this. I like that because it reminds people now and again that, oh, yeah, they got a really small group of people. They have a really small amount of choices that they have. And, yeah, it might just be, you know what, you're not my favorite person to be around, but you're all I got. And I like when they do bring that up now and then. Love the one you're with. <laughs> yeah. And as far as the Rosalind Baltar scene was, not that that carried a lot of heft to the episode arc, but I just thought Mary McDonald was excellent in that scene. This season so far, she's just doing a great job. And I wonder if it's just because they're really setting her up so that she is going to die sometime around the mid-season. Because they keep setting it up. She keeps mentioning to Adama, I like this memorial service, hint, hint. And so... Unless they're setting it up to be a big switcheroo where, oh, she's going to die, she doesn't die. Which almost would be, like, kind of not satisfying. Because how many times are they going to take a character who should have died and not died? Like, I don't think they can do that that many times. 
Yeah, I do like the setup. You know, I, I like the person that realizes they're dying, has already has the power, and says, screw it, I'm taking more. So they're kind of setting it up where she's going to start pulling some serious crap. And Lee is everybody's conscience. We might get tired of that pretty quick. Might. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm already tired of it. <laughs> but that, that could be interesting. I think the interesting, the other interesting payoff I'm looking for, well, the way they've set it up now, how can Tyrrell not be reunited with Boomer somewhere yeah. down the line? Yeah, but she's with Cavill. Kind of sick. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess no sicker than, you know, six and tie. <laughs> what did you think of that? Was that just something that... That was totally gratuitous and made no sense. And again, is that like another force parallel between, oh, we did this on the silent side, so let's anvil drop and do something with these two characters that are kind of mirrors what's happening over there. I guess. Again, it comes back to, you know, she professes her love for Baltar in, this, in that one scene, and then it's like, oh, never mind. I love the one you're with. You're with me. Again, I, I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, and I understand that it, access to the prison area is probably not that easy. But it's not that he hasn't visited Six. He doesn't even talk about her. He doesn't even think about her. It's like he has to know she's on the ship. You know Baltar. He likes to live in the moment. So this is another episode where I feel that they've had some more hints sewn into the story. I could be wrong, but I feel like last three episodes that they put in these really subtle clues that later on might come back to mean something. There's the episode 404 where Leoben says, talking about the final five, what they must have seen witnessed over time. That line carries a lot of possibility. In the last episode, Starbuck talks about watching myself, not experiencing it. And again, that has potential for meaning something. <laughs> and then in this one, Six begins to talk about understanding death and that Baltar could die. And then she says, Baltar's heart was ephemeral. Baltar's body was fragile in my hands. And then she's about to go on. And then Ty goes, oh, fracking Baltar. So that line, I'm thinking... Does that mean something, that she realized that Baltar could die, doesn't want him to die, and then, you know, take the next step? What would If you know someone can die, what would you do? Do you create something that allows them to resurrect? Do you create something that allows them to cheat death? Now we're getting into, like, Phantom Menace here again. But By the way, it's not exactly a, it's not exactly a new discovery that Six didn't want Baltar to die. It was one of the first scenes of the miniseries, and it's revisited every time you watch the opening credits. Exactly. That's what I brought up. She most. sacrificed herself for Baltar. No, but the, what, what she says, and again, it's the line, right. and the words that chosen and written very carefully, I'm sure, Baltar's heart was ephemeral. Baltar's body is fragile in my hands. When she said that line, it made me think of that bomb blast, that is fragile in my hands. And again, fill in the blank. What would she have said after that, before Ty interrupted her? Would she have said... And so I protected him by doing, you know, was it just I shielded him? Okay, maybe. Or was it I shielded him and did X? And that's why I wonder if that line carries something deeper to it. So, I don't know. Just wondering. And you can go all the way back to, you know, how Baltar got on the Raptor in the first place. You would think that, you know, I mean, it was Hilo fighting for it. It would have made us think much more now if it had been Boomer fighting to get Baltar on the Raptor. Mm. Yeah. 
that would have opened up a whole new line of questioning we could we could be discussing right now <laughs> if they had gone back and ma- made that subtle change back in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Any, anything else? No, I mean, I'm sorry. This episode, I just can't. Other, the coolest thing was the raptor crash, and I don't think she should have survived. Yeah. So maybe she's the fifth Cylon. <gasps> then we really need to get an interview with her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for a grade for 45 minutes, I'm sitting there going, "This is a D." But at the end, I'm like, "Okay, this is an incomplete." <laughs> I hate it. In terms of a standalone by itself episode, it's just really close to utter crap to me. And remember, I basically watched all three of the first episodes of this season in a bang, 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 like 48-hour period because I was traveling. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I'd waited a week for this. It's like I was coming off of a really good episode and then immediately went to this one. And so it was, so it was probably even more of a letdown. But i got to give it an incomplete because I think there's got to be something going on with people smarter than me or involved with the show. There's going to be a lot of – there's got to be payoffs coming from some of this stuff. It did seem like a setup episode. You know, you got to set up Ty's mental state instead of Tyrrell's mental state, and you got to set up Tori, Tori being more evil in a horror. I, yeah, it was definitely a setup episode. I'll give it a C. I was going to give it a B minus, but the more I think about it, if I had fifteen more minutes, you'd give it a D. <laughs> yeah, you probably would. <laughs> it was yeah. I'm going with a B minus, just because some of the setup stuff I actually enjoyed because it makes me anticipate what might be coming. So. B minus. A low B minus. I'm waiting for the extra credit to come in. Oh, I do want to mention that when we interviewed Aaron Douglas, that when we talked to him, this was the episode they were shooting at the time. And so I kind of watched it a little bit with that perspective. And listening to our interview now, when I asked him a question about uh, the bar, and he said, ah, Joe's bar, and doesn't convey in the podcast, but I remember him kind of rocking back and forth. And obviously in this scene, there's a pivotal scene occurring in Joe's bar. So interesting. Okay. I guess that wraps up this episode. This has been a fracking podcast of the Galactica Quorum. Our website is galacticacorum.com and our email gquorum at gmail.com. And again, please send us a voicemail or an email. Our voicemail number is 206-350-6756. See you next time. Bye. But that would change... Well, I can't say that would change the game because then it would make it for their universe. Well... See? I, yeah, you're right. That's all I needed to hear. I hate it when you're right. <laughs> you should have gotten used to it by now. It should be more just a mind-numbing kind of pain as opposed to like a sharp pain because you're so used to it. You're not always right. <laughs> Give me a percentage. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs>